0: This is John Jackson Miller, author of Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, Knight Errant, Lost Tribe of the Sith, A New Dawn, Cantobite, and Kenobi. And you're listening to The Living Force. <music>
1: Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Oh, there you are. A Utini Podcast Network production. Are you ready? Episode 168, Brotherhood Roundtable Part 1. Are you? On this episode, new Star Wars Essential Legends collection books are announced. Mercy doesn't defeat an enemy, Master. Plus, new details about the next wave of High Republic novels. There. Your weapon's gone, it's over. And the Yutini crew talks about brotherhood by Mike Chan. Go grow too aggressive, Anakin. Be mindful. And now, here are your hosts. Until you overcome it, the Padawan will still be Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Hankel, and Wes Jenkins.
0: Hello, everyone! Welcome to the Living Force, the Utini Network podcast, all about Star Wars books and roundtables and news and just all the great stuff that you want. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight to talk all things Star Wars Brotherhood is the full cast of characters, starting off with the man, the myth, the now-officially-graduated... Dr. Corey Hilton! Hello. What's up, yes.
2: man? Uh, I'm doing good. I got new lights. got new artwork. Yes! Look at that minimalist, wife-approved artwork back there. <laughs> Looks good. <laughs> Looks good. Yeah, I'm very pleased with this. Uh, the office is finally together. I put the lights in today for uh bookshelf and the shelves and the lamp, and it's all controllable and Wi-Fi and all those good things, and I love this artwork. I got it off of Etsy. It's like... Uh, Kind of minimalist, boho-looking artwork. It's pretty cool. It's Episode 4, 5, and 6. It's really subtle. It's uh, C-3PO R2-D2 over there. It's a probe droid for Empire Strikes Back in the Middle. And then a uh, little Death Star above some mountains there for indoor for Episode 6. So looks good. I'm very pleased.
0: My gosh. You move to Asheville, then you start using words like boho. You got plants everywhere. <laughs> I see what's happening. Well, I'm happy yeah. to have you. I'm also happy to have the man who is so happy to finally be in the NBA offseason because now it's really the heat's year. It's Dr. Right. Charles Hankel. What's up, That's buddy? Right.
3: How are we doing? Um, hold on. Give me a second. Let me, just, let me just look around. Yeah, no, I changed nothing. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm still here. I've changed nothing. Corey the, Corey, the way he changes his background and his location is so fitting of his personality. And then me sitting here in my same old spot is fitting of mine.
0: You're steadfast. You are, you're the Obi-Wan of the podcast. You're solid and true and consistent. But what is Obi-Wan without the wild, chaotic nature yet goodness and light? I could say maybe the Anakin Skywalker of the podcast. It's Wes Jenkins.
4: I take it. Some, I start out as your friend, but then I'll turn on you. And then,
5: because <laughs> of it's a obi-wan long
4: podcast buddy yeah.
5: <laughs> because of and what you've you become two of my eggs in one arm <laughs> <laughs> what's
4: going on everyone excited to finally talk about brotherhood because i listened to it
0: twice Listen. yeah you really twice. like put in the work on this one i loved it uh so many yeah. people in our community were loving this book obviously we love talking star wars books um If this is your first time in one of our roundtables, welcome. We hope you're going to enjoy our chat, uh, part one of two, of course. Before then, a couple things we want to chat about. Number one, thank you for tuning in either on YouTube or on our audio platforms. Uh, If you watch us on YouTube, you missed us last week, and we learned things that we won't do again. That's fine. Um, But most importantly, (laughs) we are back this week. Make sure to like the video on YouTube if you're watching us here. Subscribe, rate on your podcast, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Uh, But we do want to say an earnest thank you for listening. And also a thank you to our Patreon community. Who keeps us going? Who keeps the lights on? Who keeps the many colored lights on? Especially if you're at Corey's place. Uh, We hope you're enjoying your new content, including the recent behind-the-scenes videos of Jared's Celebration Tattoo Adventures, my Lego build. I have an upcoming unboxing of the High Republic uh, exclusive editions uh, that we got at a celebration that I'm going to share with our Patreon Uh, subscribers. I didn't get a chance to do it this weekend because uh, I was exhausted. Just straight up. They're still in the plastic, though. They're fresh. I can't wait to give that to you guys, and along with a bunch of other behind-the-scenes content. And thank you all at patreon.com slash utini for making everything we do here possible. Uh, And as always, if you want more things on Patreon, talk to Timothy, our Patreon manager, over on Discord or on Patreon, and let us know what you want us to do for you because we just need direction. That's really all we want. (laughs) All right, Charles is going to get mad if I keep vamping. So let's do a really quick Star Wars Weekly Roundup.
5: It's the Star Wars Weekly
0: Roundup. All right, a little bit of news this week, folks, and it's mostly visual. First of all, y'all like the Essential Legends Collection? Rhetorical, because of course you do. We are huge fans of this, uh, especially our friends on Legends Look Back, who are in the middle of a Dynasty of Evil roundtable on their show right now. They had part one last week where they talked about the Essential Legends Collection version of Darth Bane, Dynasty of Evil. But even though we've only had three waves so far, we got wave five confirmed with covers from Amazon. Let's throw them up on the screen to gaze at the new artwork, folks. First of all, we got The Old Republic Revan by Drew Karpashian with a brand new, very kind of angular, dynamic cover. What do you guys think about this one? Stained sweet glass.
2: cover. It is. Oh, yeah, stained Ooh. glass, yeah. Interesting. That's- I wonder if that is... Is there a reference to that, Wes, in this book? You read these recently, right? Stained yeah, glass, uh, maybe broken glass, shattering no. things. No. <laughs> Shattered wow, my There's Shatter, sounds- <laughs> uh, something here. It sounds fitting. Uh... These these came out. There was a, you know, we are super excited about all of these Legends collections as they are coming out, and this is no exception. Um, always exciting to see these new covers, and yet another opportunity to get folks that may not be aware into Legends books, which is always welcome. But I do think there was a collective, maybe, eyebrow raise from the team a little bit with, uh, with the announcement of Revan, and the, I'm assuming the entire Old Republic series at this point, um, because... Mm-hmm uh though they are very popular books uh they were released around the older public video game and uh mm-hmm. don't have the best <laughs> reputation necessarily not not that they're bad books by any means right. but they're not they're not ten out of tens by any means
0: no yeah it'll be interesting to see them coming out and maybe it's uh I don't know. I don't know how they pick <clears> them, <throat> but maybe the whole KOTOR remake thing has a, maybe a tie-in thing with yeah. it. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. It's a stretch. Yeah. It's a little bit of yeah, a
2: stretch. Yeah, yeah. Tie-in maybe. I'm definitely going to read it again. This would be another great opportunity to kind of revisit these older Republic mm-hmm. books. It has been a very long time since I've read them. Wes, I know you read them recently. I don't know. What were your thoughts sure. as soon as this was announced? Um,
4: I mean, they are, they're they're fairly, fairly quick reads, so I listened to these on the way to work, and I knocked them out in a matter of a week. Um, and that was just for a couple hours uh going to work and coming back. But um essentially you don't have to read these um from like book one to book two or book four or it, it, there's not really even an order with these. Yeah. So you're not missing any details if you start with book three and then you go to book one. Um it's all <clears throat> it is all right there laid out for you and you'll get little snippets here and there if you've read uh Revan before you've read Deceived, but they're 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 it's a pretty good story, but um yeah, not, not, not great. Interesting. Well, I <laughs> love good. that,
0: though, because how coincidental that the next book cover we saw does happen to be The Old Republic Deceived. Um, actually, a pretty popular original cover, I'd say, <clears throat> but sticking with that stained glass yeah. um, kind of vibe here. Very much a purpley-blue um, here, but, of course, we got a lovely lightsaber battle on the front. I do like this kind of unified... Um, aesthetic they seem to be doing yeah. that with all these series even if they're not like you said west book one book two has to follow the mm-hmm. same thing all the old republic books have a style all the bane books had a style all the rogue squadron books have a style like it's the same artist so i really yeah. do like the aesthetic continuity between <clears throat> these two
4: yeah for sure right. so the the old cover is very video gamey so oh, it is take a look oh here. yeah
3: it's That's from the yeah, video yeah. So game trailer right yeah, or what? Yeah, so, so. Man, I,
2: I still to this day those video game CGI trailers is some of the coolest Star Wars content yeah. that oh, exists yeah. on the internet. It's so good. I, I remember watching those ge- those over and over again when that game was being developed. Uh, they were super cool. And, yeah. uh that cover has got recognizable characters on it, right? It's uh, Malgus, Darth Malgus, Malgus and uh, what's what's the head of the, the Jedi? Lord? Shan something Shan. That's the one who stops the, granddaughter the or blade right? with her palm, uh-huh. right? Yeah. yeah. Sebastian
0: cool. Stan, right? Yeah, that's the that's one. one. who played the Winter Soldier.
2: Satali? <laughs> <laughs> Is it Satali? Is this one right? Satali Shan? Uh, You're just
0: saying sounds together. I don't whatever. think that's... <laughs> it's in my, it's it's in my brain. In it doesn't somewhere. say it on the
2: back of the book, I so I can't tell you it. it's wrong. The chat will tell us. I'm pretty sure it's Satali Shan. Okay.
0: Satele, no. Satele, in true Legends fashion, as Justin says, S-A-T-E-L-E. You can pronounce it however you want. It's the beauty of Legends. You pick. You
2: decide. Fair enough. That is true. Satele. Satele. But we do have
0: a third Satele. cover. Look at that. Uh, speaking of, another brain. Satele, I like it. The third cover we saw is, of course, the continuation of the Rogue Squadron books. Uh, Kratos Trap will be in wave four and the Back to War book four. Very much, uh, Jacob and our Slack pointed this out um the i think it's a celebration version of inferno squad uh that oh, yeah. cover is very much like this one but shows you know shows a trooper if, if you've seen the rose squadron cover so far and you like them you're gonna love this one too it's a singular color it's got the outline of the helmet it has some good old tie fighters i mean if you've read three and you're like i don't know if i'm gonna get the fourth one i don't know <laughs> if i trust you um, yeah. <laughs> just
2: <laughs> yeah just
0: keep it going just keep it going
2: I'm curious if uh, – is this the last – Charles, you're the X-Wing guy here. Is this the last of the X-Wing books, or are there five of
3: them? I mean, no, uh, sorry, well, Rogue Squadron well, books. Well, so this is the last in the initial part of the Rogue Squadron. Then yes, it goes to Wraith, I mean. but then there's also a later book uh, called uh, A Sard's Revenge mm-hmm. that yes, that's right. brings the characters back.
2: Yeah, that's what I meant. because my, my, yeah. I was leading into my question. I wonder if this is going to have – if these books are going to say, like, book – because it says book four of the Rogue Squadron series. I wonder right, if it's going to say right. book one of the Wraith uh, Squadron? Squadron series. Yeah, yeah I wonder if that's, if that's how they're going to do it. That would be interesting. I think they
0: should. I think they yeah, should. I think so.
2: They're, they're uh, honestly totally <clears throat> separate in yeah. a lot of ways. I mean
0: – Yeah, so maybe they'll finish these out. Maybe, like you said, Charles, they'll they'll <clears throat> skip to the next rogue and just do all the rogues. Because um, yep. they're not stopping. I mean, these essential legends keep going, which I'm I'm so glad they're so dedicated to it. So I, yeah. I, yeah. I hope they just
2: I hope they just eventually do all the legends books. Because in my eyes, it's not necessarily just that we're getting new covers, getting new prints, and all those types of things. Because you can already buy those books. You know, mm-hmm. they're out there. They're easy to find. You buy them on Amazon for you know they're really cheap. All the paperbacks mm-hmm. are. But uh, in my eyes, the the big big huge plus with these releases are the complete audiobook yes, like sir. productions. And there's so many abridged versions of books that are you know, have the potential to get full you know, full audiobooks, which is a blast. I- I've really enjoyed listening to these. I listened to the first yeah. two, and I'm excited to listen to uh, the next one. I wasn't the biggest fan of the second one, i got to say. <laughs> Swing back around, my old pal Corrin Horn, you know. We keep on going. <laughs> we just keep on going, yeah. So Uncharted I'm excited for is it a great
3: one. video game franchise. I'm just going to plug that. <laughs> oh, all Christ. right, all right. Uh, but, yes,
0: yeah, get those pre-orders in. Now we have covers up. Uh, the Teeny release schedule does have all these books, so you can find all the upcoming essential legends collection in the adult novel section of the release calendar to make sure you never miss a release now over on amazon we also got another piece of news uh because Kevin scott's the path of vengeance which is his young adult high republic novel for phase two um it was announced at celebration we talked about it a few weeks back it was going to be in wave two of phase two if you will i'm already confused and i'm saying it out loud uh but most importantly on Amazon, it came up this week and it was listed as, quote, the thrilling conclusion to phase two of the High Republic, which does beg the question, or maybe confirm it, that phase two will only be two waves long. Because in mm. phase one, we had three sets of books, right? Three adult novels, three YAs, three middle grades. But based on this Amazon blip, it does sound like phase two is only going to be two ways. Two adult novels, two YAs uh, for, the, for the flashback. And... I kind of just wanted to get the temperature of you guys. Um, if this is confirmed, if if are you good with a flashback that's only warm, two waves long, or is it gonna warm, feel
2: warm, yeah? hot, hot, oh. hot, warm, warm? All right, <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
0: oh, we're closer, we're closer, we're closer. I'm yeah. very good with it. Yeah, I'm yeah. very. We don't
4: need you don't need the same amount of content to kick off uh, phase two as you did for phase one. Phase one was obviously mm-hmm. the beginning. Give mm-hmm. you all the background of the characters. You might. Go back and get some some earlier um, history on some people. But you don't need I don't think you need um, the amount of content that we got for phase one.
3: Yeah, yep. that's totally fair. Agree. That's fair. Just awesome. totally just agree. don't water down this story. You know, I right. mean, just yeah. whatever the story dictates. And if they felt that the flashback needed to be two thirds the length of, of phase one, then I trust them. They've done a great job thus far.
0: Exactly. Greedy. That's the thing. The The track record is pretty proven. And, uh, speaking of that story, we also did get, uh, a final cover for the first adult novel, Zoraida Cordova's Convergence, um, very similar to the cover not final that we had, but this just adds the banner, um, I love the double purple lightsabers on the front, yeah, yeah. I, I also love her kind of being in front of the logo a bit, it kind of get like, has the presence, I really think it's really fun, um, but we also got a full plot synopsis, and, uh. Y'all, I hope uh, I hope you got some fans or some water with you, because it's a little bit of a spicy one. Um, in Convergence, the plot synopsis says as follows. It is an age of exploration. Jedi travel the galaxy, expanding their understanding of the Force and all the worlds and beings connected by it. Meanwhile, the Republic, led by its two chancellors, works to unite worlds in an ever-growing community among near and distant stars. On the close-orbiting planets of Irem and Irono, into the dark anybody? Mm-hmm. The growing pains of a galaxy with limited resources but unlimited ambition are felt keenly. Their hatred for each other has fueled half a decade of escalating conflict and now threatens to consume surrounding systems. The last hope for peace emerges when heirs from the two planets' royal families plan to marry. Before lasting peace can be established, an assassination attempt targeting the couple tilts Irem and Arono back into all-out war. To save both worlds, Jedi Knight Jella Natai volunteers to uncover the culprit, while Chancellor Kyong appoints her son, Axel Greylark, to represent the Republic's interest in the investigation. But Axel's deep distrust of the Jedi sparks against Jella's faith in the force. She's never met such a puffed up, privileged party boy, and he's never met a more self serious, relentless do gooder. The more they work to entangle the shadowy web of the investigation, the more complicated the conspiracy appears to be with accusations flying and potential enemies in every shadow the pair will have to work together to have any hope of bringing truth to light and saving both worlds oh my goodness but uh, but but i'm a jedi and you're 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 the son of a chancellor like come on guys we are uh there's <laughs> oh a lot dear. of romance in this one i'm i'm uh, i'm digging this yeah. For it sure. is the exact same
2: cover it as is, cover not final series. Just bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. They either accidentally did that or they were just like, just kidding, this cover's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
0: know, like, I just finalized the, the border, I need, but I need. but I like it. I think it's this sounds like I mean, the double romance seems very much like Zarata Cordova's kind of wheelhouse. Um obviously, I mean, come on, the trope of Well, the two planets are at war and only a marriage can save Oh, there's an assassination attempt. Oh, I don't like you. I don't like you. Oh, we're gonna stay on this planet. There's only one bed. Oh no! Good thing it gets
5: cold at night. I mean,
0: come on, let's do it. You're
4: not wrong.
0: <laughs>
5: like,
4: oh man,
0: let's go. I am. I am. I. I. I mean, we all. We all talk about here. We love Crash of Fate. Uh, I think we all agree it's a, a yep. very underrated book that she wrote. Um. Yeah.
4: But yeah, Surpri- I think it surprised a lot of people about how good it was.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, very excited. Yeah. Justin reverse Padme, Anakin. Uh, totally. <laughs> I just, I, I hope that the dude wears the Stop same that outfit boring. that Padme did by the fire and is like, <laughs> we can't do this. It's like, it's, it's Anakin's
2: Anakin's like Brown robe and leather, like tunic, except he doesn't have the robe on. He just has the tunic on like, and shirtless underneath. Yeah. There you go.
0: All right. Fan artists <laughs> get on it already. You got a couple months. Uh but I'll say I very excited about this book. Um, so stoked about this coming out. And you can pre-order it right now. And, of course, if you want to pre-order this and help support the show, you can look up your book on Utini.com and click the affiliate link in the profile to pre-order. Again, all those are on the release schedule coming up, including Shadow of the Sith right over here. That's coming out next week, y'all. Uh, the Utini reviews will be on the site and on this YouTube channel on Tuesday, as well as, I'll say it here, We got to interview Adam Christopher over the weekend. He was lovely. He's just a fantastic dude. And we're going to be releasing that interview on release day as well. So June 28th is going to be a real big day for all of us. Uh, And then, of course, Padawan by Kirsten White, the next book that's on your release calendar, is coming out on July 26th. A lot of Star Wars to coming up. A lot of Star Wars we're looking forward to. And then after that, y'all, we got Princess and the Scoundrel in August. And the next adult novel is Phase 2 of the High Republic. So it's coming faster than we know. I'm very excited. Uh, But that's it for me. Let's talk about some books that have come out and that we already reviewed and that we've been waiting to talk about for so long. Charles, let us dive into the roundtable for Mike Chen's Star Wars Brotherhood.
3: Let's do it. All right. We're not going to waste any time. We are going to start with the plot synopsis for this book. Here we go. Rug Quarnum and her partner, kitar Noor, members of the Neimoidian Royal Guard, pilot their shuttle to the surface of Kata Neamoidia to investigate a mysterious disaster. All Neimoidians within range have been called to assist on the planet's surface. Rug arrives and finds an entire portion of Katasura, one of the planet's bridge cities, collapsed, killing an unknown number of civilians. The disaster, which she knows could not have been accidental, leads to one question. Who would commit such an atrocity upon a planet claiming neutrality in the Clone Wars? On Coruscant, Anakin is newly knighted at a ceremony amongst many young Jedi who are being hurriedly promoted to bolster the war effort. The ceremony is cut short when word reaches Yoda regarding the tragedy on Keita Nyamodya. Count Dooku wastes no time in blaming the Republic. He demands the Chancellor himself go to Keita Nyemoidia in a show of good faith. Palpatine gives Obi-Wan Kenobi one day to present a counterplan. Obi-Wan is at a loss until his old friend Dexter Jetster steps in to help. The following day, Obi-Wan leads negotiations with the Cato Neimoidian Minister of Defense. He convinces him to accept a Jedi-led investigation instead of involving the Chancellor. Count Dooku surprisingly interrupts via holo and convinces the Neomordians to only allow Obi-Wan to come. No colleagues, no clones, and no contact with the Republic. Palpatine agrees. Mil Alabeth, a Zabrak Jedi initiate, is uniquely attuned to the suffering of others, an ability that leads her to be extremely averse to violence and chaos. After a hollow image of the Katasura disaster causes her to become ill, she vows to cut herself off from the force entirely. Just before Obi-Wan leaves for Kata Neamoidia, Anakin offers him a long-range communications device that does not strictly break the rules set by Dooku. He conceals the communicator in a case that he gives to Obi-Wan. Kitar continues to lament the Republic's view of Kata Neamoidia and blames them for the disaster of Katasura. Ruk attempts to calm him. However, they soon encounter a newcomer to the planet, a pale, bald woman with a tattooed face rumored to have been sent by Dooku. She offers a listening ear to any Nehomotians who share her disdain. Anakin embarks on his own mission to the planet Langston to oversee the delivery of medical supplies. He's assigned a group of younglings, including Mill Alabeth, to teach along the way. Anakin senses her struggles and encourages her to reach into the Force rather than push away from it. After arriving on planet, Obi-Wan meets Asajj Ventress for the first time. The two are accompanied to the disaster site to conduct their searches, and Obi-Wan quickly realizes he will be ineffective with Ventress following his every step. That evening, he sneaks out of his lodging to go back to the disaster site, but two Neamoidians catch him there, none other than Rugen Kitar. Obi-Wan is apprehended, but is able to convince them he's there for the right reasons. They work together to gather data from the site. After he parts ways with the Neimoidians, he stumbles upon a mysterious hovel filled with evidence that appears to implicate the Republic for the bombing. He sends the info to Anakin to pass along to Dex, hoping it's falsified. In the meantime, he decides to hide the evidence. Shortly after, Asajj leads Kitar to the bunker, which is revealed to be hers. She realizes the data she planted to frame the Republic is gone and enlists Kitar to help expose Kenobi's treachery. On Langston, Anakin bonds with Mill and shows her the ways Jedi can impact the galaxy other than combat. She once again opens herself to the Force. Mill's lesson is cut short when Dex alerts Anakin that the data condemning the Republic appears authentic. When Anakin tries to contact Obi-Wan, Asajj Ventress answers instead. Anakin decides he must go to Caitlyn Amodia himself, and Mill convinces him to bring her along. Having been found to break the rules of his investigation, Obi-Wan is called before a council of Neomodian leaders. Asajj and Kitar come forward with the secret communicator they found in his room, and he is declared an enemy of the state. As the guards move to take him into custody, he escapes. Kitar and the other guards give chase. Rug has the opportunity to take a shot at Kenobi, but purposely misses, realizing she still believes in his goodwill. After a further chase across the rooftops of the Bridge City, Obi-Wan allows himself to be captured, but not before hiding his lightsaber.
0: What do you know?
3: Sorry, you mentioned earlier.
0: Ventress further twists the mind of Kitar, revealing her lightsabers to him and convincing him they must use this opportunity to sow distrust of the Republic across the galaxy. She then presents him with several explosives. Anakin and Mill arrive on Cato the day before Obi-Wan's planned trial and start gathering intel. After running some routine scans, R2 discovers there are bombs planted throughout the region surrounding the site of Obi-Wan's trial, the Grand Theater of Judgment. They quickly set to work disarming them. Ruge visits Obi-Wan in prison. She reveals that she has data that implicates the Separatists for the bombing. Together, they realize that someone is playing both sides. Ruge offers to break Obi-Wan out, but he declines, insisting his trial must be had. The next day, the trial commences. Having disarmed all the bombs, Anakin and Mill arrive, looking for any opportunity to help. Several Nemoidians, including Kitar, speak fervently against Obi-Wan and the Republic. Obi-Wan presents his case, but refuses to name Ruge as a source of the data he provided, implicating the Separatists. He is found guilty of conspiring against Cato Nemoidea. As the angry crowd's fervor grows, he realizes he must act if he is is to avoid being killed in the ensuing fray. He escapes his binders and calls his lightsaber from its hiding place just as Anakin lands next to him. They shortly escape, but rather than leaving the planet, Obi-Wan insists they must get to the data center to pass on their information to the Republic before it's destroyed forever. On the way to the data center, they pick up Mill and encounter yet another bomb near an infirmary. Katara appears from the shadows with the detonator. Obi-Wan tries to reason with him, but Katara is beyond saving. He claims the culprit for the Katasura bombing doesn't even matter anymore. All he wants is for the Republic to pay for their long history of mistreatment of the Nemoidean people. Suddenly, a blaster bolt shoots the detonator out of Qatar's hand. Ruge appears. The partners quarrel with Katar naming Rug a traitor. She contemplates killing him, but ultimately arrests him and takes him to the infirmary. After obtaining the data, the Jedi discover transmissions to Coruscant are being jammed. Anakin offers the only solution he can think of, his secure comm channel to Padme's ship. Obi-Wan's suspicion of their relationship grows. Mm. The Jedi offer Rook amnesty and a ride to Coruscant, but she declines, insisting she belongs on Cain with her people, regardless of her fate. After a short scuffle with Ventress on their way off-world, the Jedi manage to escape. Upon returning to Coruscant, Mill claims she understands her path forward and no longer wishes to be a Jedi Knight. Despite his shock, Anakin encourages Yoda to listen to Mill, and Obi-Wan recognizes a maturity that reminds him of Qui-Gon. The Jedi attend Palpatine's speech in which he announces the formal integration of the Jedi Order and the Grand Army of the Republic. Mill is reassigned as a Jedi healer, but before she heads to her new assignment, she meets Anakin and Obi-Wan one last time. In those final moments, she senses Anakin's emotions more clearly through the Force than ever before and begs him to be cautious with how much of himself he puts into everything. While it's his strength, it also threatens to be his downfall. Obi-Wan reflects on his relationship with Anakin and decides he will cast aside his doubts about Anakin, just as Qui-Gon would have wanted, and instead have implicit faith of his, in his maturing apprentice. Commander Cody interrupts Obi-Wan's musings with the report of a prisoner ship crashing on Cato-Nemoidia. One prisoner is missing and presumed dead. Obi-Wan thinks he knows who it is. Back on the treacherous surface of Cato-Nemoidia, an injured and tired Ruge finds herself surrounded by Separatist battle droids and realizes that she has likely met her end. Until suddenly, two lightsabers appear through the mist Anakin and Obi-Wan, as they are always meant to, arriving just in time to save the day. Right. <laughs> That's right.
3: There you have it. That is everything that happened in Brotherhood, at least that you need to know. Uh, now, let's take a moment and talk and reflect. Um, I, this is probably the last time I'll remind everyone we're no longer giving these, these books numbered ratings. Instead, we just want to talk about the experience. And so with that in mind, what did you guys get out of this reading experience? What new value did it bring and what got you really, really just freaking excited,
0: man? Okay. This book is freaking dope. And to start. Uh, but I think basically what I what I got most out of it really was the idea of of my own mind shifting along with everyone else about the nemoidians. I think this book did so much for the Demoidians as a people um, to kind of show that, oh, yeah, the galaxy as a whole, also Star Wars fans as a whole, since the prequels have looked at the in in a very unfair light purely because of the Trade Federation and things like that. And I really liked seeing that through Ruge's eyes, who was my kind of like secret MVP of this book, um, as well as Katara's. I I like seeing how quickly that someone can be kind of pushed into extremism with a few words here, like the trial scenes, proving like, yeah, we know the facts. You you are correct, but that does not matter because the anger and fervor is so high. Like those kind of things, while being a little too close to home, frankly, uh, for a lot of things going on in the world right now, I thought were very effective. And I also think having Um, A non-white writer write about the the plight of a people being oppressed by the galaxy as a whole was very important. And I think that Mike Chen brought a point of view of like what it feels like for a majority to look down on other people purely because of race out of nowhere was something that fits Star Wars so perfectly and was written in a way that I'd never seen before. So aside from obviously the cool Obi-Wan Anakin stuff, we'll we'll chat about a ton, uh, that stuff really stood out to me in a way that I'd never seen in a Star Wars book.
4: Yeah, I totally agree with that. They they showed how the Namorian people aren't just that stereotype that you see in episode one, episode two, based on the Trade Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked how the differing opinions and differing like um, <clears throat> histories of both Anakin and Obi-Wan and how Qui-Gon was brought into all this about how Obi-Wan should be teaching Anakin and how he should be pushing him and then providing him some examples of what he should be like and then maybe stepping back and be like, you know what? Maybe Qui-Gon wouldn't do it that way. And he you could see some some doubts. There was, they built upon what he was thinking in, in episode two and a little bit in episode three as well. So I really appreciated that.
0: Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh
2: getting this book right before the Kenobi show was genius. Yes. Uh, Amazing. Like I, I will say. <laughs> um like to get the book about like really intimate stuff between Obi-Wan and Anakin and right before we get the trauma that is Obi-Wan remembering all that stuff about Anakin and how he failed him. And like, it shook me, man. Like, those first couple episodes really shook me. I think, uh, I mean, I talked about on our Bounty Hunt episode a couple weeks back about, um, you know, episode three of Obi-Wan where, you know, no... no uh, Spoilers, eh, minor spoilers, you know, Darth Vader's big in that episode and uh, it really hits Obi-Wan hard and it like really messed me up for like a full 24 hours. Like I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I think, I really do think I had that reaction because I just finished this book and it was so good. And like all this really heavy stuff between, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin and how we totally knew about Padme. Like that, now that's canon. Like we've always talked yeah, about, cool like man. we've always talked about, uh, you know, like in the Revenge of the Sith novelization, like that was a really cool thing that was in the in the book, but wasn't really in the movie. Was that Obi Wan like kind of confessed that he knew about him and Padme, and like that's like canon now. <laughs> like the Tell whole Padme, book is, like, I said hello. <laughs> I know this whole this whole uh, this whole book was like my helmet. there was multiple conversations about Obi Wan trying to decide if he wanted to talk to him now or not. Right, mm-hmm. so like yeah. I was uh, I loved this book. I thought it was a lot of fun, and uh, it certainly added to the relationship between Obi Wan and Anakin. And we got a very similar vibe in the Master and Apprentice Obi Wan and, and Qui Gon. Like I feel like this was the this is the the Obi Wan Anakin book that has never been written before. That like totally adds a, a ton of value to their relationship in those characters.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think the the sentence that 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 I really try to think of when I think about this book with them is is one of my notes I took. Uh, I think it's chapter 34 for all you following along at home. Uh, there, there was a point where they really wrote how much they both needed each other, and they both bring out the best in each other. And I think we've seen a lot of Obi-Wan worrying that he failed Anakin, or Anakin, you know, Obi-Wan's holding me back. But this book really showed you the height of, no, they are true partners. Like, I am better because of you, as I am better because of you. And I'm like, and Brotherhood is such a perfect title for that.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I I agree with all that, but especially the Obi-Wan stuff. But we're going to not talk about that (laughs) just yet. We are going to talk about characters first, and we're going to start with the chosen one, Anakin Skywalker. Um, I've got several kind of major ideas uh, that were, you know, kind of presented about each character, a couple quotes for each one, and then we can always go off the rails as we always do. So, first, I want to talk about some of this Anakin and Padme stuff that we got in this book. Okay? Let's do that. First quote for (laughs) you from page 24. (laughs) Anakin's feelings left awake in the Force, a clear silhouette of his presence, something that probably only Obi-Wan would recognize. Far too often, Anakin let his emotions dictate the situation. The tempering from Jedi training working only as a leash to the impulses that still ruled his actions. But anything that let a Jedi's guard down for even a moment put the Republic at risk especially one as powerful as Anakin Skywalker, especially one prophesied to be the chosen one, to bring balance to the Force. Just a couple pages later, on 27, his wife, such a thought, such a definition, still seemed unreal to him. Though it felt like another lifetime, only recently Padme had been a near stranger, someone he'd catch glimpses of as she moved in and around Coruscant, or on the holonet. He dreamed of her, then he tried to push those dreams aside, and then Naboo happened, And Geonosis and Tatooine, now married. They'd barely seen each other since that secret ceremony, and on their few short days, stolen away together, leaving their marriage mostly as a spiritual bond. Except she came back to him, or he came back to her, not just hollows expressing how desperately they missed each other, but tangible feelings and real touches that made it all not a dream. And then on page 33, perhaps that was why they were meant for each other. Anakin acted like a fiery burst against injustice, while Padme brought a relentlessness to any situation. A constant search for a solution, even in the most dire of circumstances. Passion and purpose locked together forever in a delicate balance. So how did this book make you guys rethink the impact of Anakin's relationship with Padme? And secondly, and maybe more importantly was this the spiciest version of this relationship that we've ever gotten? Uh, uh, yes. charles this
0: book has car sex
3: in it it <laughs> does confirm all
0: right eric got Straight right up. to it right what right you say that.
3: kids kids earmuffs not just car sex like alley sex is basically <laughs> what happened Alley speeder yeah Good i night. can't believe I cannot believe that was in this there.
2: book. That is the spiciest moment that's ever happened in any Star Wars live action, in any book, comic, anything. <laughs> You're Pat the Bay pilot. 100%, Can you find us somewhere private? <laughs> yes. Padme 100% looks at Anakin and is like, let's find somewhere in park. It's like, bro, <laughs> I cannot believe they went there. I love that. It was pretty I hot. Was pretty me, hot. I saw lie. blankets.
4: I saw blankets. I saw. That was it. What's this for? Oh. I see. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was both times when I read this. <laughs> you book had to pull over and douse some water on your face to continue yeah. on your drive. Yeah, I was mowing the yard both times, but mm. still, I yeah. remember where I was.
0: So I will say, so yeah. Obviously, spiciest for the second part. Mm-hmm. The, to the first part, though, I flat out mm-hmm. I will say this without reservation: this is the best I have ever seen their marriage in any yeah. in any media. Yeah. Period. It was I think this it is was exactly what I wanted.
2: Romantic and and like intimate and it was very heavy. Like there's a lot of really yeah. heavy moments between Anakin and Padme yeah. exploring their relationship. It was, it's so funny because we just talked about this in yeah. um, in EK Johnson's roundtable like a, yeah. a little bit uh, from a couple of weeks ago. We were talking like like that book like had a little bit of romance, but it still felt like I left us wanting like a little more of like what like a little more depth i guess to their relationship and they're married this this was it what does a married couple feel
0: like yeah yeah and the
2: whole first third of the book was like this i feel like like it like it took us a little while to get to the action which was nice like Like, all that stuff was developing on the side but we got to explore their relationship a great deal which was a really nice like addition to this i loved all that
0: yeah
2: yeah we got to see we kind of got to see
4: how um how she was how Padme is used through Anakin's eyes, and because we all mm-hmm. know that Padme is badass in the way she's very genuine mm-hmm. she's a she's a great leader and mm-hmm. in in Anakin's eyes, he said that he could see Padme like looking amongst the people and he's just watching her watch this. Lady with like a purse that has been it's like not just a purse, it's like a purse that's a hand me down that's been used before. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah, you was see cool. This person, this way, like, on um, this other person that's at, that's cleaning up and yeah. they're actually taking scraps from the table. And she's he's they, pointing out all these little details of how Padme yeah. sees people and not just not just as like a as a background character or as somebody as like um that's not important, so everybody has yeah. a purpose and not just somebody that's just over yonder
0: yeah I, I think Mike Chen really nails the idea of when you love someone when you're married to someone like you see them seeing the world in in a different way and I think it's different than like you know Anakin is all, like you said Wes oh she's beautiful great it's like no you're you're paying attention to them so much because you can't not like they are part of the world that you're seeing and I think Mike Chen wrote that so beautifully and, and frankly their date night chapter was one of my favorite chapters in the whole book. I just thought it was just a really, like, well-written couple on a date, hanging mm-hmm. out, like, and, and while having those bigger conversations, too. Um, and, and Cheryl, yeah. I completely agree. I like, like, it was Padme's suggestion to Annika. Like, it, it always is. Like, she's always prodding him, always making him do things, always being better, and I loved that back and forth. And I, I really hope, I mean, obviously the, the time frame of their marriage is so short. Um, yeah. which is just unfortunate. So I, I would say, I hope we get more stories like this, but at the same time, I, I'm not super <laughs> optimistic that we're going to get a lot of these. So I'm glad <laughs> right. we got this one for what it is.
3: Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. as important as Anakin is, there is uh, another big part of this story uh, that is from his background, that's from his, his childhood, actually, that also is very formative for him, and that is this whole idea of the sun dragon story. that we got throughout this book. So I want to read you the, the account that we have of it from page 13. He thought of his mother retelling a story for the umpteenth time in their small hovel, the warmth of her hand enough to reassure his whole body and mind. The sun dragon lives inside a star, guarding everything it loves and treasures, she would say. Generations of Tatooine dwellers heard the same story with their own family variations, but his mother's version carried the most feeling, appropriate for a myth about heart. It guarded them through the fire and flame, always keeping them safe. It could persevere through anything, even life within a star itself, because the sun dragon has the biggest heart in the galaxy, a furnace of flames powerful enough to protect everything and everyone it loves, the strongest heart, stronger than the heart of a star. She told Anakin this story dozens, possibly hundreds of times when he was growing up. He could see her expression now, the way her smile brought the lines to frame her mouth, the way her eyes never judged, the way stray hairs fell across her forehead after a long day. Those were the moments she'd always squeeze his hand and look him straight in the eye. You are the sun dragon. You have the strongest heart. Always believe in it. Now, later, on page 310, Anakin says, the sun dragon. He was the sun dragon with a heart more powerful than a star. He could do anything if he just cared enough No, he would do anything. He would do everything. His existence in the force was not a tug of war between duty and love, between friendship and partnership. It was all of those things at once. He would not try to stifle himself into just one path. His heart would burn bright and commit to all of it. And then lastly, sort of the ending to the sun dragon through line was from Mill's perspective at the end of the book, page 321. During meditation, she saw this, a peek into what must have always been going on inside Anakin's soul. But here, with Master Nima training her abilities for greater control, greater insight, the vision took her into the star, beyond layers of whipping flares and surface fire. Deep within the star swirled the form of a dragon, its long body twisting and twirling. And between the flaming claws, the dragon clutched something inscrutable, a brilliant, fragile light, something that felt like it could either explode or extinguish if the dragon let go for just a second. Now she saw into his very essence a smoldering furnace of a heart, a passion so furious that the intensity of his feelings might be the very thing to incinerate himself into his worst nightmare, a cold, withered dragon's final grasp for control, its brilliant home burned away into a lifeless lump of minerals. Wow. So we know where some of this sun dragon idea came from, yep. and I'll let y'all mm-hmm. comment on that. But Mike Chen picked this up and ran with it. And I'm curious, what was your favorite thing about this characterization of Anakin as the sun dragon?
2: Loved it. Strong references to Grinch the Sith, to be clear, right? There the it novelization. Is. Yep. Um, it was... Uh, really refreshing to see something from what Utini has frequently called the best Star Wars book ever written. um, To see such a unique idea that was put in a film novelization and then really ran with uh, in an incredible way, like, that that was genius. I mean, like, just to get the acknowledgement that another author has read and loved that book, like, it really adds a lot of value to the character. I mean, the Sun Dragon, like... Was such an interesting and unique part of the Revenge of the Sith novelization that was heavily depicted throughout, and to get like this neat story about how even it affected him later in life, and now that's canon. That's so cool. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, uh, my favorite part about the Sun Dragon was everything Corey said, and also the fact that Anakin was willing to share that with people. Like the first person he told was Mill, and yeah. I loved that moment. He's like, "This mm. youngling is is someone that deserves to know this about me because I see where she's going," and I loved him using that thing inside him that we all know is like so volatile as a teaching moment and he shared that and i really loved that a lot and i also love the fact that by the end he's like obi-wan let me tell you about this like it's, it's it's just kind of fun to see anakin open up about his past and about stories that his mom told him because in the films we see him hold that so tightly and palpatine manipulates that um to the point where like he tells Palpatine in this book about the sand people and like all those things. Like we, we see those moments of right. him trusting Palpatine as mentor, but I love that Anakin got to trust a little bit, uh, throughout this book as well. And I think that helps his character. And, and actually makes it even more heartbreaking in the films that no, he was trusting. Like he was telling people about the sun dragon. He was being self-aware and it, it makes the downfall, uh, that much more painful, honestly. Yeah.
4: But I mean, the description that he gave himself of the sun dragon is very telling of what happens in episode three yeah. where he does, he doesn't want to give up or he doesn't want to choose between two different sides, whether it be duty, whether it be friendship, mm-hmm. something like that. He wants all of it. He wants everything. So ultimately he wants power. That's what I was reading. And I've, i I re listened to that multiple times just to make sure that I was listening to the right thing. And once I heard, once I heard those, those, Those points of he doesn't want to do either or, he wants all of it. I was like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, his mind turning about how he's not going to let anything happen, just like what happened with his mother and what's going to eventually happen to Padme. He's going to do anything he absolutely can, no matter what. Yeah. to will it to be. Yeah. yeah.
0: I can also see them coming out of the Outlander Club and Anakin's like, I am the sun dragon. It's like, Okay, buddy. All right. All right. I, am, I will have power. <laughs> All right, buddy. Okay, sure. He's fine. He's fine. He's a sun dragon. Okay. All right. Here shut
3: we up. go. Shut up. No, shut up. Shut up.
0: I'm so a <laughs> sun dragon.
3: Yeah, I love, uh, I mean, Anakin is like a dragon. Like so many of his personality traits actually fit with the personality traits of a dragon. Even his, his uh, I don't know, his violence, that too. But the one yeah. thing that really caught my eye about the end of this story was, was the part that talks about what he's holding, that brilliant, fragile light that felt like it could either explode or extinguish if he let go for just a second. And I'm just curious. I think there's a couple of answers you could give what do you think that light itself represents for Anakin?
0: Mm. I mean, is it his crumbling hope and innocence? Like is it is it the final bits of love and normalcy, maybe? I, I I think that we always see Anakin so afraid that he's not gonna live up to being the chosen one. Like he's always afraid of of that. Right? Fear is is his whole thing. Everyone sees it. Yeah. And I think the fear of letting everyone down is so prevalent. And I think that maybe that last bit of light is the last bit of childlike innocence when the only person that mattered was his mom. And the only thing that mattered was coming home at the end of the day and making sure she was safe. And then maybe it's that that last little bit of idyllic simplicity and goodness where he wasn't the chosen one for 10 years.
4: Yeah. What if he just turns out to be a normal Jedi Knight? Meaning... There's somebody out there that can best him. And he's been told his entire life that he is, you know, he is Barry Sanders. He, nobody can stop him. But, you know, eventually Love you retire that. and you hurt your hip. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know what's so yeah. crazy about that. Honestly,
0: like legitimately with Barry Sanders and Anakin both, right, is that even the worst version of them is a lifelong dream for 99% of people. Right, like every kid that wants Broom Boy, every kid that wants to be a Jedi, being the worst,
2: yeah, canon, this is canon name Broom Broom Boy Boy, Jedi. Oh man,
0: even the worst, lamest version of Anakin who gets bested in duels and who isn't the chosen one is still like, Oh my god, you're a Jedi, like you're Coleman Trevor, like, like, there's an Uh. element of like, you're just a dude, (laughs) he was on the council, that's a bad example, Uh, (laughs) um, but like. You know, it, 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 it's, in retrospect, it's so sad that Anakin's weight of expectation was so large that even if he had been subnormal for a Jedi, he'd still be absolutely the dream for every kid in the world, which is like the same thing as any professional athlete. Like, even the worst yeah. professional athlete is still living the dream of every eight-year-old, you know?
4: Yeah. Like You're on the practice squad?
0: Wow. You had to practice every day? <laughs> Tamiri Blagg. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, Tamiri Blagg.
3: I don't know how I forgot that year. one. <laughs> Tamiri That sounds like a hero what right a, there. What a guy. Blag. What a guy. All right. Well, you know, there were other parts about Anakin's story that they really focused on. They they really spent a lot of time on. And one of these one of these things was actually Anakin's mechanical hand. And... We have a quote here from early on, page 11. Anakin didn't need the Force to feel the weight of his former master's stare. Behind his back, Anakin's fingers balled into fists, the synth-net neural interface of the mechno arm reacting the same way as his real hand did. And yet, it didn't. Just as with his organic hand, the mechanical fingers pressed in frustration, but no emotion came from the gesture on that side. No tiny ripple through the Force to again give away his feelings to Obi-Wan. And Anakin kind of repeatedly struggles with this hand until towards the end of the book, page 297. The strangest thing happened. While his fighting style often worked with a two-handed grip, Anakin instinctively parried with his robotic hand alone. And in doing so, its inherent differences rose to the surface. His arm didn't need to be calibrated to his old instincts. No, it was much simpler. His mind had to adapt to his arm. With that, everything shifted. Just like his relationship with Obi-Wan, all he had to do was accept that it had changed. So why was it important to include this as a part of the story? And what did Anakin's relationship with his mechanical hand help us learn about him as a character?
2: Uh, It was pre-Vader stuff, for sure, which is really cool. Mm. Um, There's a... uh, What is the... uh, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith? Is that what it's called? Yep, the uh, the third one. The trilogy, yeah. The one that kind of unofficially the unofficially Dark Lord trilogy, kind of after Revenge of the Sith novelization, tells you how um, he
3: pees in the suit and all that good stuff, yeah. (laughs) Exactly,
2: exactly. Yep. (laughs) what a reference,
3: (laughs) yeah. I mean, stuff like that, everybody wants to know stuff like that, (laughs) like
2: getting used to getting used to you know the mechanical, he's more machine now than man, you know, getting used to that stuff. It was cool to to kind of see a little bit of that in this in this book because like we we don't really have a lot of Anakin. Uh, dealing with that, although I couldn't get the vision out of my head of like uh, the Tartakovsky Clone Wars, like Anakin with all the tattoos and his scary mechanical oh, God, hand, yes. and yeah, I, could, I couldn't get that out of my head. <laughs> that was yeah. great, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah I, I definitely think it's it's, it's pre Vader stuff. It's it was also so interesting because you know we see Anakin as awesome general in the Clone Wars, and he's and he's great and, and awesome at combat and all that good stuff. But before, I like the little bit before he gets there where he's like, "Right, my my arm got cut off. Like, I yeah. this is different." And I and there's no one he can talk to about it, because it's it, only him. You know, he doesn't really have anyone that kind of knows what he's going through. Seeing a little bit of vulnerability there, I think, was important. Um, and I also again think mm-hmm. it's something that Star Wars hasn't touched on before for a franchise that like has meant so much. I know there's a, like a lot of folks. Um, that have like disabilities that that don't have limbs and things. And there's like kids that have written to Mark Hamill to be like, you know, I I lost my arm as a child, but but Luke lost his hand. And that was, and that was like a huge thing. You know, that's, that's always been kind of part of star Wars, but being like, you know what? Sometimes it, 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 I gotta get used to it. Huh? Like, it's just a a thing that makes so much sense now in hindsight. And really my main takeaway was like, why in the world haven't I read this before? Because of course it's odd. Of course it's different. Um, (laughs) And it was just kind of great, again, to make Anakin more and more developed as a character. He is not only the Chosen One Jedi, he is a husband. He is a recent amputee. He is also, like, 20. Like, he's like, there's there's so much more going on. And Mike Chen was like, I got you. I'm going to put it all in here because he's just a dude. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah.
4: That's huge in, for acceptance. Him accepting yeah. that he no longer has his hand and being okay with it is a huge step in his development um that I'm glad that Mike put in there because he's dealing with a lot of mental issues uh, associated with that so yeah. um and that help, that helps the readers who like like you said Eric some people that have their amputees i mean it helps them to cope with what they're dealing with just even though if it's a Star Wars story it's it's something it's a little something that helps them see you know what Maybe it is okay. Maybe yeah. it's not a problem. Yeah.
0: And Padme, like, also being so, like, you know, not caring which one she's she's touching, like, holding hands. I mean, like, she didn't never... Yeah, yeah. That I, was cool. There was some of that stuff. Like, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't shift away, and I'm like, I don't know. Maybe if that one scene would have been a lo- little longer, that hand would have been a little different as well. Like, I don't know. Maybe that scene could have used the hand in creative ways. Like, I think we could. there's more to be <laughs> read. Right. Oh, Jesus I'm Christ. Wow. Right. I'm just saying that caressing... I think that there's... Too rigid. Let's just (laughs) blow right past that. (laughs) (laughs) Charles, next question. (laughs) Well, one thing
3: I just wanted to kind of bring full circle. The circle is now complete, you could say. Corey, you brought up the Vader stuff. I love that it specifically commented on the fact that he he learned his one-handed technique to some degree because of the strength of his mechanical hand, right? Because we see Vader fights very much with big powerful one-handed slashes a lot of the time that's not always what we see from Anakin so that was something that evolved over time and maybe it did come from this actual sort of you know prosthetic uh undertaking that he had so pretty interesting yeah, we just
2: talked about that with this most recent episode of Kenobi and uh, yeah. Bounty Hunt yesterday. Yesterday? Yes. Yeah, yesterday. 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 Days <laughs> are yeah. blown together. I know. Yeah.
3: How long have we been here? How long have I been in this seat? <laughs> what um, year is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to talk about Anakin's actual evolving relationship with Obi-Wan. And I have a couple more mm-hmm. quotes here for you. First from page 200 says this. Obi-Wan and Anakin. Anakin and Obi-Wan. The mentor who took careful measured steps, the Padawan who charged forward with explosive power, and it seemed ridiculous luck. Despite their age difference, despite their rank difference, despite their personality difference, they always got the job done. But that was under the guise of Master and Apprentice. This time was different. They were equals now, their link purposefully broken. Too many gears turned in the galaxy right now, and everyone in the Republic slotted into a specific purpose to help end the war. On page 250 we have this. Just a few months ago, the exact same words could have been exchanged between Anakin and Obi-Wan, either in a quiet moment or in the heat of combat, but they would have been laced with condescension and resentment. Somehow, this change in rank, this balancing of roles, this recognition of each other, transformed their verbal jabs from bitter conflict to friendly competitiveness. Were they still the same people, just addressed differently? Those were things for Obi-Wan to ponder. All Anakin knew was that he preferred the version of Obi-Wan with an actual smile to the one with a perennial frown. And then lastly, from page 319, this was Skywalker and Kenobi as they should be, a team built on emotion and intellect, bravado and control, fire and ice. And despite no longer having the formal bond of master and apprentice, they would always be connected. In fact, they were better this way. Qui-Gon Jinn would have agreed. Anakin was certain of it. So specifically, how did this book deepen your understanding of Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship during the time period of the prequels? Because I will say for myself, I was, I was actually a bit surprised and taken aback at first to see the degree of disdain that there actually was between them. Like it was actually mm-hmm. a bit more than friendly contention than I feel like we've ever seen before what y'all think
0: yeah i thought that was interesting while cory takes himself off mute um <laughs> Damn it.
2: i was gonna say I, I said that i don't know that i don't know that I, I agree with that because like something that has always stood out to me uh being the uh episode two stand that i am is uh like how big of like a douche obi-wan is to anakin <laughs>
5: And then how, how
2: much of a how much of a smart ass Anakin is to Obi-Wan? Like in those introductory scenes, like 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 it's it seems like their relationship, especially their their master apprentice relationship, is like always right here at this line of like, you know, like joking that can turn into real conflict, like really mm-hmm. quickly, right? <laughs> and you know, like yeah. like Anakin is uh like he's like telling him to quit sweating and then Anakin's like stop lecturing me, dad, you know, like it just, it gets escalates really quickly. So I don't know. I think it was, I think it was fitting. And I, I enjoyed seeing a little bit more of the sort of in their head thoughts of like Anakin's whole monologue in episode two to Padme of like how he's overly critical and all this type of stuff. Like, it was nice to see that, that, that line of thinking a little bit because of what happened because they, Anakin became Darth Vader and Obi-Wan feels personally responsible. And it's like, no wonder yeah. that he does because they fought all the time. Like, like siblings. Right. So yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I love, I thought it was really interesting getting a, a, a little more conflict because I feel like it would have to, yeah. have to take that for Anakin to be able to turn on Obi-Wan. There had to be some genuine conflict there. I feel like. Sure.
4: Yeah. Something yeah. that was
2: always there and never really went away. Yeah,
4: Like they, like, after their little squabbles or after their their differences, they're like, "Yeah, you're you know what, you're right. I'll I'll think about it this way." But then he's just like in the back of his mind, he's like, "But are you though?" <laughs> I know.
2: Obi Wan yeah. was too burning. practical for Anakin.
3: Anakin is just yeah, sure. burning Absolutely. on the banks of Mustafar, and after Obi Wan's walked away, he's like, "I knew I didn't like that guy." <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: been there. Something about you. man. I, I will oh, say,
0: man. Charles, you you definitely got um, a. Spoilers for one of my Utini quote of the year nominations on 319 with the the fire and ice brought like it's straight up yeah. Revenge of the Sith novelization. Yeah, but there's a mm-hmm. quote on 259 uh, that I wrote in my notes uh, that I want to read real quick that it, that really brought it together for me, Um which is uh Anakin Obi Wan said, and Anakin's posture immediately set for a defensive statement, an ingrained reaction to all the lecturing rain down on him during his Padawan years. Sorry, Master. Trying to see what we're up against in case. I am genuinely thankful you are here. Obi-Wan's voice came out soft and genuine, and despite the chaos of the situation, he marveled at the grown man in front of him, how everything since Geonosis both stretched time out and compressed it into an instant changing into an instant changing both of them. And I think that was really what this book did for me, was I, I saw the he never listens, we're all disdainful, to that moment of like with along with obi-wan i think as reader and i think that, that's the that's one star wars that it's best when we change the second the characters do um when obi-wan's like mm. anakin is a man that i trained and i would probably be dead if he hadn't come here and i am so thankful my friend is here who is now my equal and i think from page one to page 300 whatever i think that's what this book did for me with their relationship was it gave us that through line that by the end of it i'm like Cool. You went from Master and Apprentice, uh, we're roughly, to the end, it's like two lightsaber blades, Skywalker, Kenobi, you're all doomed because they're going to win the day. And I think that was yeah. the book.
2: Totally.
3: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that quote up. That That is later in this outline under the Obi-Wan section because how do you talk about one spoilers, without the other? How do you talk about one without the other? <laughs> we are going to shift to Obi-Wan now, and we're basically just going to continue the same conversation we were having. But I want to talk it, about... Obi-Wan and Satine for a minute because Satine got some shout outs and some love in this book. And I think it's interesting to inspect uh, that relationship in lieu of Anakin and Padme. So on page 39, Mm -hmm. we have this. This particular jab was so effective that a grin slipped through and Obi-Wan raised an eyebrow in subtle acknowledgement. What old friend? Oh, I don't know, dresses better than you, striking eyes, Mandalorian royalty, used to call (laughs) you Ben for some reason, Dex said with one of his hearty chuckles. That one. I hear she's quite the savvy politician. Obi-Wan wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of saying her name out loud, or the fact that the Duchess Satine of Mandalore was remaining neutral in the Clone Wars to ensure that her people didn't return to their previous warlike ways. Ah, the simple foolishness of impulsive youth. You keep telling yourself that, old buddy.
5: What do you know?
3: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I I would have read it like that, but I have a lot more things that I have to say. I can't destroy my voice. (laughs) On page 88, when Obi-Wan sees a news hollow of Satine, uh, Obi-Wan kept tabs on the Duchess as anyone would an old friend, but especially one who rose to power in a political situation as volatile as Mandalore's. Yet, most of those updates came in the form of trading summaries of speeches and governmental actions. He rarely saw Satine's face before his eyes, and doing so triggered a wave of emotions he recognized, the urge to dream of a different life, a different galaxy. But as he always did, he let the thought flutter away, evaporating before ever taking root. Yeah. Yeah,
0: God, it just like it just sucks, man. I know. It's just so I, sad.
2: I I know. think uh, I think they should let Mike Chin write the Obi Wan Satine book.
3: That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. great. four votes. I think,
2: I think I think he'd be a great yeah. choice. I mean, it's oh, it's clear God. he can handle all the romance stuff really well. So, yeah. well, look, at, I think, I think it's called like this is the guy. Second is he's the guy.
3: Yeah.
4: Second
2: Thoughts by Mike Chin. Uh,
5: second Thoughts by Mike Chin. <laughs> thoughts.
3: And then this, la- this last thoughts. quote <laughs> though, really hammers that home. This is Second Thoughts from 313. Another question <laughs> came to Obi-Wan, something that stunned him enough that his shift in demeanor even caught Anakin's attention. If he had just a drop of that willingness to think outside the Jedi way, would things have been different with Satine? So what was it like to see Obi-Wan reminisce on his time with Satine so long before we actually see them together in the clone wars tv series
2: i am fascinated with this entire idea because i always loved the i always loved the idea in legends that in luke's jedi order that he built like he just got rid of all those rules about marriage and romance and all that stuff, and like I don't know that it's ever outright said because of Anakin's fall, like in Padman. It's because
0: of, stuff. of a redhead, Corey.
2: I well, He's yeah, like, but Yo! still. <laughs> I mean maybe, maybe, but yeah, still yeah, yeah. like like it's never talked about. You know, I don't think I don't seriously. think I don't think Luke saw episode three, you know? you know, I don't think he ever saw that movie. So you know, yeah. I, I don't know that I don't know that he could possibly <laughs> I don't know that he could have possibly known he like hates
0: the prequels guys. Luke Skywalker actually is yeah, super toxic. I mean,
4: did he not get a history book in class and just read about it? I mean, all the the Empire
2: wiped all that stuff, but I always loved that. I always love that about legends that they get rid of all the romance rules and stuff. So like I yeah. like to see it speculated on by major canon characters like Obi Wan and, and Anakin, especially Obi Wan in this case, because like he's like the rule follower, you know what I mean? So yeah. like to see even Obi Wan speculate on it is like maybe there's maybe there's something to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I also think for all, there's a lot of folks that are like, you know, where's the teen in the Obi-Wan show right now? And I'm like, my brother in Christ, there's 330 pages of a book right here. Um, because I, I, I do love the idea. Calling somebody that is hilarious to me. <laughs> it's one of your favorite thing? Gen Z gets a lot of stuff right, and that's one of them. Um, I, I think that I also really do appreciate. How sparingly Mike Chen used that in this book though. Because that's not what this book is about. Yeah. Right? I mean it, yeah. it yeah. colors it, but in the way of like a lost love can kind of color your life. You don't think about it every day. It doesn't affect everything you do. But every so often when it when it hits, it hits very intensely. And yeah. I thought that was really well used. It's like, you know, um like like certain ingredients in, in cooking. I think Mike Chen used sateen exactly the amount you had to. Because it's very strong and it's very potent. And and I really um like, seriously, those, those sentences you already read, Charles, like, as you were reading them, they hit me all over again. Because I'm like, right. Gosh, I forget Obi-Wan is carrying this every day with him. Yeah. And I thought it was used very well. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, totally and, agree. And it's interesting because it, it has to play some part in how he reacts to Anakin going through a lot of these same struggles. And so there's one more quote mm-hmm. I want to read you here from page 325. Obi Wan stopped himself there, letting the thought pass, along with the urge to either confront Anakin about his infatuations or tell the Jedi Council about his concerns. Instead, he asked himself a simple question, one that crystallized the truth of Anakin's past, present, and future. Did he believe that Anakin would make the right choice when called upon? Without hesitation, without questioning or searching for justification, Obi Wan found himself saying yes. Qui Gon Jinn had a pure and unwavering faith in Anakin. Obi Wan was merely a conduit for that, and that was all he needed to know. So, does Obi Wan's personal past with Satine cause him in any way to turn a blind eye to what he has now undoubtedly noticed about Anakin and Padme?
2: I think I think if there is any way that Obi Wan truly did fail Anakin, because that isn't very interesting question to Dang, ask that, yeah. that we should we should discuss I think maybe after the Kenobi Show is over is like if there is ever a way that Obi Wan failed Anakin, it is his kind of constant doubt in himself to be his old master, right? It's like, I don't know that... I don't know that Obi-Wan was really ready to take a Padawan when he did. Like, he wasn't a knight at all. Like, he just immediately went... Like, his master was murdered in front of his eyes and immediately had to take on a Padawan. Like, he had zero self-exploration as a Jedi Knight, right? So... You know, it it seems like this is a recurring theme that we see a lot in adult Obi-Wan and now in the Obi-Wan TV show, and especially in this book, as he's constantly battling with this question, is what I have been as good for Anakin as Qui-Gon was, and I feel like it is that self-doubt that, like, sort of inhibits his ability to be a a good mentor for Anakin in, in some ways, right? Like... Like, th- there's there's a lot of discussion in this book if he's, like, right on the edge of talking to Anakin about something. But then he has this doubt of, like, it, would Qui-Gon have acted this way? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then he doesn't do yeah. it, right? So, yeah, you know, like, maybe he did fail Anakin in that way. Like, he didn't just try to be himself in some some I, regard.
4: I feel like, like you said, I feel like he didn't discipline him enough. Or, like, to the point where he got his point <laughs> across and not just... It kind of feels like they were more like suggestions, and they he's, weren't going through Anakin's head, and he knew that. I feel like, yeah, he's too yeah.
2: pragmatic of a discipline. Like, like he's just like, why don't you do it this way? This is the right way. Whereas Qui Gon was much more kind of out there and philosophical, like Yoda, a little bit, yeah. right? So, like, if
0: you're gonna do it, I'd rather you do it in the house. Like that's yeah. Qui Gon, no, just, just a little, uh,
2: just a little, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I, and I and I do, I love that commentary though. Because the masculine parent relationship is so unavoidably like parent and child, right I mean mm-hmm. the ages obviously is yeah. a huge thing about it, but like the teaching of of life and the mentorship like it's it's the perfect marriage of of teacher and parent, and I think that it's a really great commentary on that parenting and all kinds of things that like the worst thing you can do for your kids, like you're saying, Corey, is not talk to them is not be vulnerable is is to not acknowledge things you know
2: not acknowledge flaws and mistakes and yeah. accidents and all those exactly. things right like it's so Wan did fail to do that a little bit yeah in, in a yeah. lot of ways
0: yeah. yeah and i think that the whole padme Satine thing like i mean you imagine if there's a parent that sits down if they see their kids having a problem be like hey when i was your age i went through the same thing that is such a powerful opening to be like oh my gosh i'm not alone and the person that i look up to did this Imagine if there's that scene of Obi-Wan sitting down and being like, hey, when I was your age, I met someone, here's what happened, I turned away, I think I regret it. You know, being open about that, like, and who knows? Like, does that actually change Star Wars altogether and be like, hey, Obi-Wan, I regret this, I will do whatever it takes to help save Padme with you because I believe in you guys. Empire doesn't rise, Palpatine doesn't, like, it doesn't happen. You know, yeah. and I think that's such an interesting alternate universe, which obviously so many people have thought about with, you know, then you get Anakin as father and you get Padme as mother. And, and, it, and it and it grows up with a support system. So, like it's it. it uh, Star Wars is just such a tragedy, guys. Like, it's it so is. sad.
2: It really is. It really is. Multiple you're, tragedies. You're
0: a conversation away you're a conversation yeah. away. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think the, I think the, the most interesting tragedy in all of this right now though is 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 the tragedy that I've never really kind of mentally explored myself is is place, the Anakin the Obi-Wan. Oh, <laughs> the Anakin Obi-Wan tragedy, right? And I think the Kenobi show has brought that into the forefront of like like we just didn't have that material before. Like we always had the Anakin right. Padme material, but we've never had really the Obi-Wan Anakin material. Now we suddenly have it and it's like mm-hmm. There's this whole new sort of <laughs> unexplored tragedy that's just so heavy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like like the, the, the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan is so fascinating. And the lines in episode three of you are my brother and you were the chosen one and I loved you, like like it, it hasn't it hits hard, but it also has been missing the backstory to some degree. Yeah. So and we're right. finally getting it, which is nuts. I mean, twenty twenty two, like years after it's amazing. episode three. It's, amazing. it's crazy.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's dive even deeper kind of into this yeah. Obi-Wan as a mentor for Anakin. As much as it pains me, I do want to talk about some of these flaws um, of Obi-Wan. And we
0: know you hate him, Charles. We know you do not like the so character, hard. so we can <laughs> so actually hard. go there.
3: Uh, on page 63, Obi-Wan felt like he was often the safety lock on Anakin's throttle, making sure Anakin kept from going so fast that he'd spiral out of control. Yet now they were peers rather than master and apprentice. A war severing that protective tether and letting Anakin drift free among his instincts and his passion.
2: Mm, the safety uh, lock. The, the safety the, lock. Uh, the, the chastity belt, if you will. The, yeah. the,
3: the child lock on the window. There it is. <laughs> you know, you know, Anakin would be in the back of the speeder, like putting the window up and down, and, and Obi Wan would just be hitting the child lock. He'd be like, "I hate it when he does that." <laughs> Uh, From page 288, um, for all the stubbornness, the arguments, the subtle disdain that they sometimes had for each other, a new form of Anakin was emerging, something more authentic and human coming through since his promotion. Their conversation still manifested as competition, but rather than trying to step on each other, they'd made a subtle turn to verbal one-upmanship. All it took was leaving behind the bond of master and apprentice. Later from that same page, for a moment, Obi-Wan's mind drifted from the mission, a volley of relentless questions whipping through. Was Anakin like this because Obi-Wan tried too hard to live up to Qui-Gon's dying request? If he had been more like Qui-Gon and less like what he thought a Jedi mentor should be, would Anakin have such defiance in him? As Anakin and Padme oversaw the data upload, Obi-Wan finally identified this strange feeling in him, something so rare and foreign that it took a barrage of questions and the weight of self-doubt to recognize. Regret. And then lastly, 314. I think this is a really, really important passage just to understand their relationship by the end of this book. Mm -hmm. Right then and there, Obi Wan finally understood that he'd been wrong about what Qui Gon meant to either of them. So wrong, in fact, that it astonished him. It took a decade, an emerging war, and the dual promotion of Anakin's Jedi Knighthood and Obi Wan's ascension to the Jedi Council for him to realize this. Anakin had said before that Obi-Wan was the closest thing he had to a father, but that wasn't totally true. However brief or long, Qui-Gon molded both of them, ushering them into paths based on a belief that they had greater destinies. Their lives were not intertwined by the ties of master and apprentice or any fatherly relationship. It was greater, longer than that, a bond that grew from the moment they shook hands on the queen's ship above Tatooine. Obi-Wan and Anakin were forever bound by something without rules or obligations, something intangible yet powerful and fragile, the faith that Qui-Gon Jinn had in each of them. So, y'all touched on this already, but, I mean, do you think Anakin's and and Obi-Wan's relationship, the way that it changed and improved so tremendously from master and apprentice to, you know, fellow knight's, was that more so that Anakin changed? Was it more so that Obi Wan changed, or was it a combination of the equal combination of the two? Ooh,
0: I like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's got to be both, right? I think. I mean, maybe not even. I'll say, I man, I don't know if it's fifty-fifty, but I do think that they both get to it in this book. I'll say this is Obi Wan's part of that equation. Okay, I think we see like I. I we we haven't talked about it a ton. I love the the character chaptering chapter numberings like Obi Wan chapter Anakin yes. Rook. Like I love that that um, writing kind of a gimmick but tactic. I love that, but I do think the Obi Wan chapters show more of a change in that regard. We get a little Anakin mentoring with Mill, um, but I think that in this book I will say we see Obi Wan kind of coming around to his false of his false ideas about Anakin, like you said in that quote, you know, I misinterpreted what my master told me a decade ago. Oops. Um, (laughs) I think that, you know, Oh, go, Oh, well, it's just 10 years. Who cares? But I do think that for their future partnership, Obi-Wan's evolution is probably slightly more important. uh, in seeing Anakin as a grown man, but at the same time, Anakin had to grow from a kid into a man in order to make that happen. So I think it's, Little column A, little column B.
3: Sure. Mm.
2: I don't think I have anything to add to that. Like that—that's that pretty much nails it. Like Obi Wan. I mean, he had to like he had to view older Anakin, older Anakin, night Anakin differently than Padawan Anakin. It was very challenging Mm -hmm. for him to sort of separate those relationships. And like, I think that's why why this particular story was so rich. Is like he had he was sort of forced to forced to explore that like, by itself. Like, explore the idea that Anakin is his own person and he's going to, like, respond differently and he no longer has that sort of authority,
3: I guess you could say. He's a person and his name is Anakin?
0: (laughs) 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 Exactly! exactly. It's incredibly
4: stressful, uh, like, of Obi-Wan having to feel like he has to teach Anakin like Qui-Gon would have. Yeah, Like, having, like, that in the back of his mind and thinking day after day, like, after... They go. I mean, apparently they don't sleep. They just meditate for an hour and they wake up. (laughs) Like after meditating, he's (laughs) like, "Damn it! Did I do the right thing? (laughs) (laughs) Did I do? Did I do the right thing? Should I just like bypass all that and teach him the way I would teach him? And would that have not made him slip to the dark side, as in in, in Episode Three? So, I mean, that's that's got to be like really waning on Obi Wan. Should I had not have used the or Sai from Qui-Gon and used his teaching or just used yeah. my own. Yeah. But like you said, uh, Corey, like, what did he have to, like, fall back on? Know. He went straight from Padawan yeah. to Jedi Knight with another Padawan.
2: Yeah. That's crazy. And his own That's relationship nice. with Qui-Gon was, was rocky, too, right? Of like, it, At yeah. times. Like, they were very different yeah. Jedi, so. I
0: mean, there's no accident that Kirsten White and Mike Chen are pretty good friends and Kirsten White is writing the Young Obi-Wan book that is coming out next month. I mean, mm. yeah. I think that'll be very interesting now, having read this. <laughs> the year of the Obi-Wan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now that I
4: think about it, we've seen Anakin. Anakin with the Padawan braid. Seen Obi-Wan with the Padawan braid. I would love to see a concept art of Qui-Gon with the Padawan, braid and, Padawan braid and the little guy back here. You know? Well, Wes, <laughs> might I tell you
0: about a little series called Tales of the Jedi, an animated series coming out with Count Dooku and Padawan Qui-Gon Jinn. You're Hell getting your wish, buddy. <laughs>
2: Oh, I didn't even think about that. I didn't okay, great. that. Qui-gon was in that. I haven't seen mm-hmm. that footage. Qui-gon. Yeah. Well, that is
0: Dooku's.
3: Qui-Gon name. would yeah. do some weird stuff though, like just to be different. Like his Padawan braid would be like dead center in the front, like hanging <laughs> He'd down. Gel it. He'd
0: gel it yeah. up straight
3: up <laughs> like, like a
2: spike. <laughs> <laughs> what? Qui-Gon, oh. you
0: can't smoke uh, your Padawan braid. I don't know. Let's just see what
2: happens.
3: Well, Getting a real Ross going around. Weirdly enough, that's the perfect transition because I wanna oh, I wanna God. end this character section on a surprise character and that is Qui-Gon Jinn and I, I wasn't expecting to do it until I really sat down and started writing things out for this round table so just a couple last prompts here from page 309 this is Anakin he let himself float in this space the pulsing currents batting him around within this ocean of the force a presence existed no an awareness one that Anakin would encounter at times of extreme duress or deep meditation, something that felt like equal parts guidance, soothing, and questioning, something that despite his best intentions, he didn't listen to. Qui-Gon Jinn. On page 48, only a chair, Obi-Wan kept telling himself, a chair that Qui-Gon never sat in for a variety of reasons. He'd had a chance to join the Jedi Council, of course, turning it down to remain Obi-Wan's master, and then that opportunity never returned, Qui-Gon's path splitting off into a different direction before being ended abruptly on Naboo. It was only a chair, and yet it meant so much more. On page 53, really interesting moment that I loved Every single word from Dooku was both a challenge to him and a threat to Iam, Dodd, and whoever else might be listening. Obi-Wan considered all of that, then launched a counterattack as targeted as a swing of his lightsaber. You knew my master. You were his master. So tell me, Count, did you trust Qui-Gon Jinn? The mere mention of the fallen Jedi's name shifted Dooku's expression, his eyes softening and mouth turning for a flash before returning to a cold neutral, the first, possibly only, crack in Dooku's armor. Qui-Gon Jinn was an honorable man. Now, Obi-Wan moved to the offensive, a momentum to his words. I carry his teachings with me every day. If you trusted Qui-Gon, then you know you can trust me as well. Dooku's eyes darted, a quick movement that probably gauged those around him. Obi-Wan took a moment to do the same himself and caught the smallest smirk on Palpatine's lips. So, Were you surprised to see so much discussion of Qui-Gon in this novel? Not only Obi-Wan thinking about how he could have been more like him, but Anakin actually feeling Qui-Gon's presence in the Force as he's meditating. Palpatine laughing at Dooku, still being affected by the loss of Qui-Gon, who he set up to get murdered by the red-horned demon Sith (coughs) that he sent to Naboo. I mean, he was... He was. His fingerprints were all over this book, despite never right. actually having yeah. a scene. Was that surprising to you?
4: Surprising? I don't. Mm. I don't think it's surprising. Not the right word Not at all. Really? Yeah. Um, what I do find interesting is when uh, Obi Wan was talking about Qui Gon never sitting on the council, and it's interesting that he was. I guess he was strong enough powerful enough he had the intellect to be on the council and gave it up to remain obi-wan's master um and even even through all of that he was still teaching uh obi-wan and also anakin or anakin when he when he first picked him up off of tatooine so just like that that whole selflessness of you know which is a dichotomy of Anakin just wanting to be on the council, the the youngest one. And he's like, don't need to be on the council. It's not a and all be all to be there. You're here to to teach and pass on your learnings. And kind of instilling that just with these in the early part of the book, I thought was really interesting that Mike had put that in there. Like yeah. because we go on this first name basis with each Yeah, absolutely.
0: Other. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree completely. I think that Qui Gon's presence being littered amongst Anakin, Obi-Wan, and so many other people's lives is one of my favorite things about the kind of the prequel era, because I think Qui-Gon is such a fascinating character, and I actually want to do a, a, a part B to you guys on this, based on what Cheryl just said in the chat, because I think this is the question, right? She says, I always think of Qui-Gon living and being Anakin's master with his less rigid ways and soft patience, and I get so sad, so the great question is, if, if Qui-Gon lived, would Anakin have fallen? And I think that is that. I mean, that's the big one, right? It changes the, kind of everything. Uh,
2: would he have left the order? <clears throat> <sighs> yeah, that's that's my favorite question. Is like, like maybe Anakin would have pulled in Ahsoka. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think interesting.
3: I think if Qui Gon had actually lived, there's a way lower chance that Anakin falls to the dark side but I also think that had Qui-Gon somehow defeated Darth Maul on Naboo and gone mm-hmm. on to mentor Anakin Palpatine had a plan B and a plan C and a plan D he knew that yeah. Qui-Gon had to be removed yeah. Qui-Gon mm-hmm. was never going to fair. live
0: that's it's a great fair. point that's a great point um geez yeah that's what Palpatine was I mean that's that's the great point is yeah. that you know his dark side powers it was it was at the level of his political and and planning power like he had more patience than any sith lord or maybe bane for the studying but like he just waited and waited and waited and put the pieces together and i think that was his, the evilness of his machinations um yeah but to your but to your original point charles i think that Qui Gon in here wasn't necessarily a surprise, only because I think wherever Obi Wan goes, Qui Gon follows. Uh, but I do love every time he is, uh, like we say in that quote, you know, every time he kind of cracks the armor of Dooku, because Dooku remembers the young kid that he trained when he was a Jedi. Yeah. And it's like, remember how he's dead now? And that's because of your team? Like, just that little stuff makes it makes Dooku. So interesting. And why I love stuff like Dooku Jedi Lost. And, like, I can't wait to see him in Tales of the Jedi. Because I think Qui-Gon is such a great catalyst for showing why Dooku wasn't necessarily ready to ascend the throne of the Sith. Because I think he always... He always had that level of respect and nobility when it came to Qui-Gon. And I think that... Mm. I think Palpatine saw that and was like, nope. Nope. We're never going to snuff that out, so you got to die.
3: Yeah. I like that. I think that we probably lose sight or at least we underestimate how well these books build on each other because as you're saying that eric i think about how that scene was strengthened so much by the fact that i've read dooku jedi lost and talked with all so much about it the fact that every time qui-gon's name came up it was strengthened by master and apprentice and the fact that we talked so long about i mean all of these things build on each other and interweave so much and it's just beautiful i love it and i love talking to you guys about all of this and we're going to do this some more next week. But that's all that we have time for this week. So join us next time if you enjoyed this, if you're new, if you're old, if you've done this 100 times with us. Come back because we've got overarching questions. We've got some killer Easter eggs, mostly courtesy of Mike Chen this time around. And it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> that's right. And, of course, we're going to talk about the real hero of the story, Kitar. <laughs> I mean, Rook. We're talking about Rook next week. Uh, <laughs> a lot of great stuff. As always, y'all, uh, he's always too too shy and humble to say it. Uh, Charles puts these all together by himself. Dude, the quotes, the synopsis, the questions, you, you kill it every single time. And uh, I'm just going to make you uncomfortable by calling you out and saying you're amazing at it every single time.
3: Thank you, sir. It's really
0: well done. You're welcome, buddy. All right, y'all. Chat was amazing tonight. We hope to see you all next week, as Charles said. But for now... That'll do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so much. It really does help out the show and whatever we do here at Utini. But a special thank you goes out to Brian Dooley. Patrick Ortiz, Earl Q and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council and Elizabeth Cloutier, Freddie C and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at Corey M. Hilton. Charles is at C. Hankel. Wes is at false West and the show is at Living Forest Pod. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor. Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for potting with me tonight. Thanks to all of you for hanging out in the chat and in audio, of course. And as always, may the force be with you. Obi-Wan finale this week!
1: There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like minded fans at utini.com. And remember the force will be with you always.